We have the privilege of reading the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. This is the sermon text. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. My name is Mike. I'm one of our pastors, pastor of spiritual formation and that good stuff. And love this text. Um, as many of you may know who've been here for a while, I was on staff with Campus Outreach for eight years before I went to seminary and then started church here. And I got to be honest. I used to poo-poo on the church a lot, the big church, right? Like, we know discipleship. You don't know it here. That's why I used to do it all the time. And then went to seminary, had kids, started going to soccer practice, started battling traffic, which is one of the biggest parts, right? Moved to Atlanta, met with doctors, people who own their own businesses, people who have multiple kids. And I started to repent. <laughs> I, I get it. I got to say that in CO, we, we loved it because you get that, that four-year window, right, with, with guys and girls. And you, you get to pour into them, and it's so pure and so beautiful. And then when you get into this reality is, how do we do that? How do we disciple well here? How do we follow Jesus here? How do we grow into him here with all of those things to do? Because now... You know, when I meet with a college student, sin is one thing. When you start meeting with a father, and he's addicted to these bad things, and the impact that begins to make on their family now, and you start meeting with a mother who's really struggling with things, or a single folk who's struggling, and the impact is so much bigger on their jobs and things that they're called to, it's significant. And so how much more, as God's church, the instrument he calls to, to bring his righteousness to the world. How much more are we called to make disciples, to be disciples and make them? And I'll tell you, the nine years I've been here, I've been on a journey to learn that more and more and more. What, is, what does that look like? How do, we, how do we follow him? And all of it comes back to this passage. Every single time. This passage. And so our passage this morning is very general about what it means to follow Jesus. But, and we'll get a little more specific with it. But there are two main things we, we, we want to look at as we continue in Mark. And again, we've been on a series in Mark, the book of Mark, and we, we're calling it the story of Jesus. We want to look at his life. We want to walk beside him and see through the coming weeks, months, and year, what does it mean to follow him? So you won't get all of that today, but you will get the introduction today that Jesus gives us in our text here, that Mark, who's the eyewitness of Peter, he's Peter's pen. You may not, you, you may not, I think Scott mentioned that even in our first one. You may not know that, that, that Peter had terrible handwriting. 
Like when you look at the manuscripts of First and Second Peter, they're terrible. They're so hard to read. And so it makes sense that Mark would be his pen, right? And be the eyewitness that was close to Jesus that wrote these things down. And we're going to walk with Jesus over these, this next year and see more and more what does it look like to follow him. But this morning, for our time, we're going to look at two main things. Jesus, we're gonna, it's two main verses in what we looked at. It's very few verses, right? But the two things we're going to look at is, one, the kingdom of God. Uh, Scott's mentioned it some, but how do we understand it and, and even begin to participate in it? The text shows us that. And then secondly, what does it look like to follow Jesus based on the little bit we're given here in our text? So I'm going to jump right into those places. One, the kingdom of God. Uh, back in 08, Avery was two. We didn't have our other children yet. They were a dream. And we, went, we took 18 kids, students, because I was on staff of Campus Outreach, to Thailand. And I began to study Thailand because we're going to be there two months. It's called a cross-cultural project. We went over there, and one of the things they told us when we got there is like, hey, listen, if you drop your money, don't step on it. You know how you drop a coin and it starts to roll and you stop it? They're like, don't do that. The king's face is on everything, and they love their king here. You do not deface his face, right? And then, sure enough, we get there, and in the airport, his face is everywhere. I'm at a urinal. His face is in front of me, right? His face is in every restaurant, every bathroom, every grocery store. You name it, his face is everywhere. And you know why? Because they love their king. See, they know something of kingdom there. And the reason they told us over and over they love their king is because he incarnates. He goes and out with the people. He, he would go literally to the poor villages and see what life was like and do his best to bring changes to those places, right? And that even, you know, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but it just makes the new king so, it's so sad because the new king doesn't do that. And, and Thailand's in turmoil right now as a result, right? But the, that king, they, they loved him so much, so they know something of kingdom. When you mention king and kingdom here, aren't you all as clueless as me? <laughs> like, what? What does that have to do with anything, right? How, how do we understand what he means here when he says the kingdom of God? And so we're going to, just a few things from the Old Testament, because the Old Testament hints at the kingdom of God over and over, right? So Genesis gives us a picture of a world where God is reigning. He's on his throne. His rule and reign is central. That's what Genesis gives us, right? And all relationships, all people, all animals, the earth itself is in, is in perfect union with itself. And then sin, a good picture of that. Actually, I was watching a video recently. And this, have y'all seen the new Wagoneer? That thing is so cool. It's the new Jeep. that They're trying to make it back, right? It's a, but it's this new car. And it, it shows a video of it hitting all these cars and just destroying it. And then the person gets up next to it and they roll the window down and it's a seven-year-old driving it. Guys, that's a picture of the world when God's not at the middle. There's nothing wrong with the world. What's wrong is who's at the helm, who's driving. When you put anything that's not God in the driver's seat, destruction, disintegration. And Genesis tells the story of that when God is replaced with something else, disintegration and turmoil just prevail. And Old Testament, slowly, it begins to drop seeds. There's one coming. There's one in the lineage of David. Right? There's a suffering servant coming and all of these things. And the, and the people of God knew to look for, all right, there's this one who would come. And, and Scott told us about him, John the Baptist, the precursor, the one who would come. And, and he, will, he will be the one that when he comes, the next one 
is the one I'm sending. He's the one I'm sending to restore the kingdom of God. And so the Old Testament tells us that. And now we get to our text, verse 14. Verse 14 here. I'll read it to you. It says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus came in proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, some of your translations say the gospel of the kingdom. It's just a variant. There's many manuscripts. About 50-50 say gospel of God. 50-50 say kingdom of God. And it, it means there's no difference in them. But he came in proclaiming it, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so when Jesus, when it's, it's now time to go public, John the Baptist has been arrested. He's going to come out now. What's he, what does he lead with? The kingdom's here. Every, every seed that was dropped, I want you to know, I'm here. It's time. And, and the words used here, the word we love at this church is kairos. Kairos means pregnant moment, opportune time. It's, it's the thing that happens in our lives that now as a result of this, everything else is redefined now. Everything else is looked at in reference to this here. The other word is in the fullness. The fullness is, it, it, it's a hard word to put into English, but it's, it's God's plan, God, what God wanted, the, the way it was unrolling in its fullness. The, the word is literally a cup that's overflowing. It's super full would be the word, we would, how we would translate. So the kairos, the opportune moment, and the super full plan of God, they finally collide. And Jesus says, it's now, it's at hand. And why, friends? Why is it at hand? Because the king is here. Our king is here. He can be touched. He's here. The one who will come and put the rule and reign of God back on the throne is here. And now, everything must be seen in reference to him. That's what we believe as Christians. Everything. And so for us, Jesus brings a crisis. Doesn't he? You know, crisis is something that happens where a judgment is needed now. Or a decision must be made. Something has to be looked at. And Jesus says... If you're going to now enter and begin to participate in my kingdom, you must repent and believe. And I know, guys, in our culture, repentance is such a dirty word. I don't know about you, but at least my friends outside of the church, they don't like the word repentance very much. Right? And, and the word means simply change of mind. A change of mind that leads to a heart change. So behavior changes as a result of the mind change. He says that the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand, and you must repent and believe because you're, you weren't ready for him. You weren't ready for me, he says. And so in, in order to begin to participate in my kingdom, repentance is needed. That's to change your mind. And to instead of you being the reign, rule and reign of your life, let me be that. So repentance, turn and put, and, and put my rule and reign at the central of who you are. Allow me to be that. Believe the gospel, he says. And we know the gospel the good news, Scott mentioned that. Go back a few sermons if you want to learn more about what that means. But it's simply this good news, this life-changing. This good news that, that God is victorious. And so we know how the rest of the story plays. But for now, the rule and reign must be central. That's what the kingdom of God tells us. And he's been dropping these seeds to show us he's here now. He's here. So, repentance. I was listening to one of a mentor of mine a couple weeks ago named Dan. And... 
he shared the, the story of Luke 15. The prodigal son, sons, which I mean, son, one of our pastors that we love calls, the, actually it's the prodigal God. He's the extravagant one. He's the one that's crazy in this story, right? To give away half of what he owes he owns to, to this son and the son to go away and to blow it all. But I love, he, he said, go with the son where he is, the younger brother. He's with the pigs, which for Jews, that was horrendous. And he has this ache inside of him, this hunger. And he said this, repentance always begins with hunger. With hunger. I just, I just want you to stop for a moment. What are you hungry for? What do you long to be different? What, what, what would be amazing for if it is in heaven to be here on earth? What's that hunger for you that would turn and, and take greater participation in his kingdom for you? What's that hunger? Because when you go home and you have your, your story ready for the father, you remember what the father's doing? He picks up his robe and he runs. He's searching the horizon for his son. And when he comes home, the son doesn't even have time to give his spiel. The father buries his face into his neck. He says, I love you. My son is home. Put the best robe, the best ring on him. All of that love pours into him. So I hope this morning as we begin to think about participating in the kingdom and what it means to follow Jesus, that you see a father who's searching for you, who longs to meet you in that hungry place that you have in your heart right now. So whether you're here for the first time this morning, the first time maybe you haven't repented, and believed on Jesus. If this is your first time, welcome. He's good. He's kind. The verses even say his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He's a kind God, a good guide. But if you've been here a thousand Sunday mornings, singing that song with us, that, that community song that we just sung, it's still repentance and, and, and belief. Paul says, just as you received him, we also walk in him. So as we, as we begin the kingdom of God, if we're going to participate in it, we've got to meet Jesus in that crisis, which is how do, how do we repent and say, God, we want you to be central and not me. What does that look like for you this morning? Because now that leads us to follow him. So let's go. What, what does it mean to follow him? For Mark, again, participation is repentance and faith, re- repentance and belief. Um, but again, the Old Testament gives clues to what Jesus is doing. Remember, in the Old Testament, when God begins to save his people, what does he do? He raises up Abram, right? And Abram, what does Abram's, Abram's children become? The 12 tribes of Israel, right? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus, this man God, he comes and he chooses four that become 12. You see what's happening? The story's very similar. Just as God started with a family here, Jesus starts with a family. He chooses those to bring near and begin to call them family, begin to live like a family. That's why, friends, that we are joining God as family on mission for the renewal of all things. That's where it comes from, that we're a part of his family, that he invites us in, and then we grow as brothers and sisters. Because remember, you don't choose your brothers and sisters. You woke up, and they were there, right? No matter who comes in this church, and you, 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 we had a membership class this morning, and we continue it after this. God brings us together for, for a reason. Why has he brought us together? We're a part of his family, right? And so we are his church, and we are called to be disciples, which are a picture of the life surrendered to our king, and then a portal to, to give his power to the world, right? That's what we believe. And his church is living. It's, it's beautiful. But how will it happen? 
how do we follow him? In, in 117, he says this, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. What a strange verse, right? But what does it look like to follow him? To follow him. You know, to understand this well, I want to give you some, some, some of the context and the history because it's so strange that you have this guy go up, hey, hey, put those down. Come on. You know, and then they do it. How, how absurd is that, right? Like, this is the weirdest thing ever. So what's happening, right? And I think some context will help us here. Um, you know, in, in the Jewish culture, little boys, especially at the age of five, would begin to memorize the Torah. Did you know that? And by the age of 10, they could even become apprentices in the Torah. And if, and if they were good at it, they could graduate into this thing where they would literally memorize Genesis to Malachi. I mean, I have like five verses memorized. Genesis to Malachi. They would memorize that. Because again, it's an oral culture that Scott talked about, right? Um, and, and then if they were even the, the best at that, they could then graduate to the next culture where the next um, layer, if you will, they're all like these Jewish names, so I'm going to spare you those, okay? It's the next layer where they could then ask a rabbi to follow them. So what they would do is they would go to the rabbi and say, I want to follow you. And the rabbi would say, okay, what's Malachi 3.11? You know, I'm joking. He would say something, he would question them, and they would have to give amazing answers. And if the rabbi found them worthy, he would say, okay, come and follow me. If he didn't, guess what they did? They went back to their, to whatever their father did, they would then go back and do that, right? And so I hope you're noticing already how different our passage is. That's not happening at all. In our passage, Jesus, the rabbi, goes to the disciples, right? And, and I forgot to say, each rabbi had a different, you know, slightly different interpretation of the Torah, and that was called their yoke. So they would say, take my yoke upon you. Right now, Scripture's making sense, right? But So Jesus goes to them, and he says, come and follow me. They know him to be a rabbi. So this is the best of the best of the best of what life could be called to, right? And so it's like, of course I want to do that. But I want you to notice something, friends. They're fishermen. Guess what that means about them? They weren't the best of the best of the best, right? They weren't at all. So he's going to these ordinary, simple men and giving them this call to come and follow him. Put his, put his yoke upon them. What? It turns out that, that he is believing in them. He's saying, I believe you, Peter, you, Simon, you, Andrew, you, James, you, John, you have, you, you can become like me. Follow me. You can become like me. My choice of you ensures you can be like me. And I just, you know, we believe that God, he's a God who chooses. And if you're here this morning, he's, has he chosen you? And if he has, and you're believing do you believe that you can be like him? You, little old you, ordinary you, you can be like Jesus. That's the first part of what it means to follow him. It's his choice of you, his call of you, his invitation of you to come and follow him. You can be like him. So what does it mean to follow him? The kingdom of God shows us it means to take Jesus, our king, his rule, his reign, and begin to put that at the center of your life. Begin to let it drive. 
the reason I read from the message this morning, I know it was kind of strange, but it just, it really spells out that Deuteronomy passage well. To everything we look, Jesus becomes the spectacles we look through for everything he calls us to. His rule, his reign, it guides everything else now. It's the starting place. And then he says, I will make you become fishers of men. I love that, guys. Actually, Christian, you accidentally skipped it. Become, the word become. I want you to make sure you hear it. The word, he make you become. What I want you to hear is it's a process. I know there are some weeks, guys, I feel like an utter failure at what I do. With my children, with my wife, in this job. And I'm like, God, how long? And, and here he's saying, follow me. Walk with me. Come, come with me. And, and notice, guys, it's not, I'm going to pull you out of life. Let's go get in the classroom together, right? Much of church has been interpreted. If we could just study the Bible together, we, we'd be great. And we'll, we'll all look like little Jesus. It's just not true. And it's not worked. Here he, he invites, come, look at how I relate with this woman and this man and do these things. And all of those miracles he does. Remember, we're going to start to see them. They, they are not miracles in the sense like, like we think of them. They're actually him restoring life like the kingdom of God would make it, right? Kingdom, in the kingdom of God, there are no withered hands. In the kingdom of God, there are no demons. In the kingdom of God, there are no lame. There are no, there's no leprosy. And so he restores as he walks and shows them what the kingdom of God will look like through his life and ministry. Come and follow, come watch. And that's what I'm inviting, that's what we're inviting you to do over the next weeks. Let's watch him. Let's walk with him in that. But, but even more, obviously, we do that together here as well. But you know, I, I just I do want to reiterate that there are some weeks I feel like I can't do it. That I'm so far from arriving. I've blown it. And he says, repent and believe. Just turn and look to me. Look to me. He will make you become. I don't, I don't know what you brought in here today and what you've struggled with and what you failed at and where you are, but he, he will make a way. He will walk with you. I hope you, you feel that and hear that today from him. Make you become. Slowly, friends, his agenda became their agenda. As they walked, his agenda became theirs. And he had to confront their agenda at times, right? But slowly, his agenda became theirs. The same is true of us. And then fishers of men. Uh, Tim Keller calls this the fishing under the fishing, right? It's like these guys probably fished again, just so you know. I mean, they do, actually in the Bible, they do fish again at times. Maybe not for a living, but they do fish again, right? And, and for all of us, that doesn't mean we go away from all that he's called us to do. It, it just means it, 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 there's an order to it now. Because remember, disorder is something else being central. Now, if he's central, there's an order to what we're called to, right? And so the fishers of men in all that we're called to, he calls us to, to evangelize and make disciples. And remember, making disciples is to teach them everything I've taught you. It's what he says in Matthew 28, right? Which more passages we'll get to as we go. So what does that look like here? I'm going to close with this. We use a triangle here. If you go through our newcomers, we, we call it the up in and out triangle. And if you're a member here, you probably know this, but up is your relationship with God. We, we want to emphasize that relationship, right? Remember, Jesus 
the person. Everything is in reference to him. That's the starting place of the kingdom of God is a person. It's not, what you, it's not a doctrine. It's not, it's not even words on a page. It's a person. It's Jesus. That's who we're following, right? And so, again, relationship with the Father, relationship with Jesus, that's, that's priority. And then there's relationship, the in, relationship with those in the church, right? Up in. And so we prioritize, because Jesus did, relationship with each other. That looks like our neighbor community groups, which is more, it's more social, right? And it's, it's more people, and it's the people we live and work and play around. That's why our neighborhood communities are, are divided like that. We're, we're hoping that based on how they're divided, the people you work, live, and play around, you'll spend more time with, right? And then if something needs to be done, there's more of us together in that area to do that mission together, right? And then our DNA groups, they're more gender-specific. There are women and men who are trying to walk with God together, who are following Jesus together, encouraging, admonishing, calling, helping each other grow in following him together. And again, we'd love you to get in those. But the, the out then is our relationship with those outside of our church, whether it be the poor, the homeless, our neighbors, our friends, our schools. How does Jesus call us to live in those places? And so, again, the up, in, and out, they become a rubric because Jesus... He emphasized and prioritized those things. They become a priority for us and how we live our lives. How does this decision affect my relationship with God? How does it impact the relationship I have with the church and with those outside of the church? All of our decisions are in reference to him being Lord of the middle of those things, right? And so that's, that's where we are at City Church. And we'd love to invite you more into those and what that would look like for you. But lastly, I just I want to close with this. Um, it's such a strange passage, and it's not in the book of, of Mark, actually, so we won't get to it, but it's Mark, it's Matthew 14. You remember the passage where they had fed the 5,000, they're all tired, and they go out in the boat, and then it says Jesus comes by walking on water? You remember that? I just imagine Jesus, you know, hands behind his back, back and forth, you know, just kind of just dangling it out there in front of him. Do you all remember Peter's response? Oh, it's, it's absurd, isn't it? He says this. He says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. <laughs> what? A, what, Friends, why is that his first response? It's because of what we've already said. Remember, he's a disciple. He's devoted his entire life to being like his rabbi. If his rabbi is doing it, he wants to do it. Do you know that your God has called you to some absurd things? Absurd. It makes no sense how you would live. But because the rabbi's doing it, I want to do it. I want to do it. And remember, P- Peter goes out there and he goes and he's, he's probably like, you know, I, mean, I can imagine how he's feeling a little bit, right? And he's there. And then remember the wind starts to blow and what happens? He begins to sink. And I just, you know, is, is it because he's not believing in Jesus, his rabbi? Friends, I would venture to say no. I think he's afraid he can't be what Jesus has called him to be. I I can't do this. Jesus says, hang, grab me. And so, again, as we close our sermon, I just wonder for you. Do you know that, that, that your God, who's called you to believe in him, he believes in you. He's called you. He's put his spirit in you to look and have his eyes to see all the opportunities, all the things around us, all the, all the kids, all the kids' sports, 
all, all the, all the um, parties that we're called to go to, the jobs we're called to work, the money issues, all those things. He's called within the midst of all that that feels like we can't do it all. He says, follow me. Just hold me. You can do this. With his help, with his spirit inside of you, we can do this. That's the calling in front of us, guys. It's the kingdom of God again. Just to, just to finish this. It's his rule and reference at the center of who we are that now we begin to follow him and become like him and begin to fish like he fishes. You know, we have the same cast technique, right? We throw the net the same way because our Jesus throws it that way. He taught us that, right? Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning, I know there are folks here that maybe not, maybe this is absurd to. I know it's been absurd to me uh, even some days still. And I know, Lord, my unbelief has been there. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal that unbelief in all of us. And that you would, you would help us be ready again for your coming. Because I know you came in gentleness. You came in kindness. And you, and you, and you brought the crisis. But you, 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 you took the shame instead of us. You were nailed to a tree instead of us. And I pray that we would believe that, Lord, that good news. And I pray that everything now would be seen in reference to it, Jesus. And that we, together as a church, would learn more and more what it means to follow you. We want to follow you, Jesus. Empower us to that end. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. When I was about 10 years old, I, my father took me fishing. And... Uh...